this meeting is being recorded. Uh, hello and welcome to uh, Live from America podcast from the Comedy Cellar. This is Hatem. Uh, Noam Dorman, as usual, is running late. Um, he might actually not show up uh, as he did until the last couple of uh, episodes because he has some um, issues, not only here, but in uh, with his family. Um, <laughs> special guest, former writer for Saturday Night Live and Emmy Award nominee, Tony Darrow. Yay, me. And he's back. And one of our favorite guests, you know, she's back. Uh, Sarah Ghanem. She is a former newspaper and television reporter turned independent storyteller and filmmaker. She just made uh, her first feature documentary titled No Defense. And she's also an award-winning podcast host. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we, we didn't win any awards in this show uh, because of Noam. Like they nominated me a few times. I was like, get rid of him. And you get all the awards. I was like, wow. <laughs> How you been? Long time no see. It's been a long time. Actually, I don't think I've been on the show since election night. Oh. So like. Seems like forever, right? Well, well not much has gone on since election night. So That's true. That's true. Not a whole lot to talk about anymore, right? For Gnome, at least. <laughs> hold, hold on. Remind me of your prediction that night. I, I know I asked everybody about the prediction. Did you get it right? I don't remember what I predicted. I think what I said, which is what I said to everybody, which was, you know, everyone says he's not going to win, but, you know, that's what we said in 2016. And I just kind of said, like, don't expect an answer tonight, you know, and don't rely on, like, um, what the polls are telling you because they notoriously yeah, yeah. went wrong. But I don't think I made like an actual, I don't think I made an actual prediction. Prediction. Okay. I don't really like to do that because I feel like they are, um, I feel like they are, you know, they're kind of based on like a lot of people's gut feelings and not really based on yeah. any, you know, anything. We found like out the last couple of elections that all the polls and all that stuff, all the experts that know who is are just bullshit. They don't know anything. Well, you know what? Not, not really, because, I mean, really, Hillary Clinton um, won uh, the popular vote. I mean, the, the predictions were pretty accurate as far as percentages, just where the oh, votes but I mean, came they, from. They said it's going to be a mudslide for, you know, for Hillary and for Joe Biden. It didn't happen. And I didn't think it was going to be. But uh, Yeah, there was no blue wave, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But, uh, sorry, I've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so congrats on your uh, uh, film. Uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, so you um, first question is like, if you can tell us a little bit about this, the story you were trying to tell in uh, No Defense and why did you decide to make this movie? Yeah, great question. So I'll start with the second question. Why did I decide to make it? Um, totally came kind of out of the blue. I was doing some research for... You know, I've been covering water contamination for a long time since since Flint, Michigan happened. So like seven seven years now, and um, and I was doing some research on contamination across the country and how it affects people from all different kinds of communities, all different backgrounds. It's not just a Flint problem. It's not just a lead problem. And I kind of wanted to I wanted to write something that would capture what I just said. And so I started visiting communities that were a lot different from one another um, and had different kinds of problems. And one of them was in upstate Michigan near an Air Force base. And when I got there, I just was so immediately struck by the visual nature of the story. Like 
literally foam lapping up on the public beach next to the playground, contaminated foam. And I just like, I stood there and I was like, this is not a, like, I could never do this justice in a, in a written story. Like I need to show people this. And that's the, that was like the birth of the film. Totally, you know, didn't go into it expecting to make a film, but ended up making a film. And it is about, uh, it is about the military's use of this firefighting foam at almost 700 sites across the U.S., um, that um, that creates a contamination that is nearly impossible to get rid of, but is known to be harmful to humans. And um, you know, we, it's the the firefighting foam contains PFAS, which you might have heard of because we like to talk about Teflon and PFAS in in lots of different other contexts. But we almost never talk about the largest um, source of the contamination in our country, the largest polluter of PFAS, which is actually the US government. It's actually our military. And it really disproportionately affects the the veterans on those bases, the people who have um, committed their, you know, lives and careers to defending our country. And it's actually them and their families that, that take the brunt of this and still as we sit here, there is no um, there is no military aid in in, forms, in, in the form of healthcare for them, and uh, and so that's really the story. The story is about them. It's not really it's not really like a like a wonky science story. It's a story about the people yeah. um, who are affected by this. So yeah, that's no defense. You know, you know, it's uh, I was gonna. That was my second question. Is like when you do something like that, do you do you decide yeah, I'm gonna make a documentary or a film? and then look for the story or vice versa, I find the story, but you just answer beautifully that it's, you know, you can't even write about it. People have to see it. Yeah, I feel pretty strongly these days that it's, you know, the, the fun thing about being a multidisciplinary journalist is like, you get to let the story tell you what the best form is to take it on and to, to you know, either show people or tell people. You know, I, I like to sort of let the story lead in that way. Some, you know, some stories come and you're like, this is so much information. Like there's so many twists and turns and so many characters. It's perfect for a podcast, right? Um, but some are like a little more straightforward and you could just write them in a thousand words. And then some <laughs> are um, pretty straightforward, but you want to be able to to let the people themselves tell their stories or show something. So I, you know, I, I usually... I usually don't start out by saying like, Ooh, I want to make a film, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, or I want to make, I want to do this TV piece or I want to, yeah. I want to make, you know, do a podcast. It's, it's the opposite. And I think that works out well. Cause that what Tony does, but he doesn't, you know, he said, I'm going to make a film, but he doesn't do it. <laughs> well, I'm just curious. Uh, how much of it do you think is, I mean, cause uh, when I grew up, uh, people didn't buy water in bottles. People, uh, trusted the the water that, that came out of the faucet because they because they could uh how much of it is is intentional do you think to uh just create the uh you know the mess the multi-billion dollar industry of selling water in plastic bottles that's a really good question i mean i don't necessarily think bottled water is always safe either it's not always a safe alternative no. sometimes, sometimes it is definitely the safer alternative like for example, in Flint, when it was very clear that their water was highly contaminated with lead, um, you know, it was definitely the safer alternative to turn to, to plastic uh, water bottles. 
um, or some other, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just plastic. It's not what you think of as like the eight ounce plastic water bottle, right? It's, it's cases of purified water that were delivered right. um, in a very crucial time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there, you can Google and find stories um, about problems with the bottled water we buy and also the way that we store it. And, and there's a lot of problems. Uh, with well, that. apparently there's, there's PFAs in bottled water some at, at pretty yeah. h- higher levels than they should be. Right? It's, it's a little bit more regulated in bottled water, you know, um, but it is, it is certainly still a problem. I mean, the big, the really the biggest problem is that the EPA has been reluctant to deal with PFAS. Um, and I think it's just because it's like so daunting. It's everywhere. It's in everything. It's in all of us. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they studied um, creatures that, you know, live in isolated parts of the, of, of the world and the Arctic and they had PFAS in them. Um, so, you know, it's, and it's like nearly impossible to clean up. So it's really about, it's about um, containing and being more aware of what we're doing and being more aware of our habits. And it's not just, you know, when it comes to water contamination, like it's not just PFAS, it's almost like, you know, one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. Um, But I think, you know, you could, you can invest in a $200 water filter for under your sink and do your family a lot of good. Um, And for the most part, you know, keep yourself safe. Yeah. So uh, when you, how long did did it uh, take you to make this um, film? So this is crazy. So I did this film in, we started shooting in September of 2019 and it premiered in February of 2020. It was the last thing I went to, like the last event that I went to before the pandemic was my own film premiere. And then it like, you know, took a little hiatus for a year because we all did yeah. and there were no theaters to go to and no places to watch. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we just got it up on iTunes. But, but you also, you know, and that's very interesting to me also a new mom, you know? So how did you manage to do, you did a lot of traveling, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, I feel like you have hours and hours of film uh, that you have, obviously that you did it to the, to the movie, but uh, you know, the, you have the pandemic, you have a newborn, you have, you have so many challenges. And the story itself is very stressful, you know, uh, in a way, not the film, but, you know, the story itself. Like, I'm sure you trying to get the right picture, talking to a lot of people with their stories and stuff like that. So how did you manage to uh, to work with all that? Yeah, I think that like 15 years in on deadline news, really, like, airs <laughs> you for a lot, right? Yeah, Suddenly I've been friends with Norm for a while, yeah. Yeah, that too. Suddenly, you know, suddenly you feel like you have all this time to do something and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel that bad. Although there were certainly moments where I didn't think we were going to make our deadline of that initial premiere. Um, And, you know, I did have, she was not even, I guess she had just turned one in the midst of that. So I had a a little baby. I like to take her with me when I travel, but I didn't want to take her to a contaminated place. So she (laughs) she didn't tag along for these rides. Um, I did like have a really weird breastfeeding rest stop story in Northern Michigan, which was like one for the books that I'll write about sometime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, I guess I like to, I mean, you know, that's kind of like 
part of why I'm a journalist is, yeah. you know, like you want to tell important stories and yeah, I, I feel like if, number two is like kind of the figuring this stuff out, right? Like the yeah. adventure. But of I feel it. like this is the one thing that I always would like to mention when you meet people like you, like creators, you know, there's no, you know, we hear a lot of things about, oh, excuse, don't make no excuse, but really people that, cre that are creators and want to do things, you know, they don't think about even make an excuse or not, or just all this thing, they actually do it, you know, regard like you have pandemic, you have new daughter, you have, you know, you have so much going on and you still managed to do an amazing uh, film. So good for you. You know, Thanks. I think it's motivated in the story. That's another story you can make. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely a lot. It's like, you know, I think part of the, the fun of this job, this career is, is that part of the, like, that's part of the adventure of it, right? Is like figuring it out. And, um, and obviously the reward is like watching it have an impact, but you know, sometimes when I talk to students who wanna be in TV, I'm like, listen, it is so not glamorous. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I've done like really embarrassing things in the back of a truck, just cause like you're on deadline, you have to like get it done, you know? I feel uh, like you have to like change your clothes or, you know, like, slap on makeup it's like not you know you're sitting in like you know under under someone's like you know car roof in the rain like you know just like so you, you just the, like the daily kind of like figuring it out is um and, and making it work is 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 definitely part of the fun yeah so so i feel like this uh film is also like a lot of stories in one you know like one of one of them is like for example like i think is regular people standing for power you know mm -hmm. military mm -hmm. not able to do their job and i don't know uh, uh you didn't uh, did you, you didn't answer tony's question do you think they did it on purpose or do i think the military did it on purpose no not the military i'm just saying in general i mean there wasn't a water industry when i grew up yeah. there wasn't a bottled water industry yeah. you know i yeah. think but you know by making the, the public water less safe, that created the, the colonies do a joke about it, you know, years and years ago. But it, this is where we are. I mean, by making people, people don't trust the water that comes out of their yeah. faucet. Everybody has some type of filter or something. No, I said, because and, of the, in the poster says the US military war and water, you know? Right. So, well, I think oftentimes bottled water is like a rich people problem so to speak like you can't you know a lot of the communities that are most affected by water contamination cannot afford to drink bottled water because for fun right like they just can't bottled water is expensive um so that's one and the second thing is you it's undeniably true that america's water infrastructure is failing um that's part of biden's big infrastructure plan actually is this promise to remove all of America's lead pipes. And it's not just, be, I mean, a, a big part of it is because of the lead contamination that affects so many millions of Americans, um, you know, an estimated 6 million Americans, but also, you know, it's not just the lead pipes, it's like all the pipes. And we forget that water, we forget about water because you can't see the problems. You can see cracks and bridges. You can tell when your roads close down, you're infinitely annoyed by it, um, but, you can't see necessarily when pipes are failing um, or um, when that leads to water contamination problems. It's not always obvious. It doesn't hit us in the face. So I think it's you know a couple of a couple of things that come together. Um, but I think that you know a lot of times the communities that um, that are most affected by this are communities that can't afford to fix it. And a lot of times those people cannot afford to buy bottled water. 
Yeah. Wait, so, and, and has any progress been made in, to your knowledge in Flint, Michigan in the last seven years? Oh yeah. I mean, Flint, Michigan is probably like one of the only places where you may go and drink the water and be confident in it because they like, there's just been psycho, such a micro uh, microscope on it. They did, they did get money to rip out all of their lead pipes and replace them <clears throat> with something safer. So um, that's number one, that was huge. And there's just tons and tons and tons of research and testing and resources that are being poured into making sure that that community, um, you know, can have the best chance it can at recovering. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the short answer to that is yeah, but there's so like problems can be fixed. Problems can be fixed, you know, but they got federal dollars to fix that problem. They got state dollars to fix that problem. They got they got celebrities writing checks and. You know, they got tons and tons of national news coverage. And then there's lots of towns that don't get that. I, I did a story right before I left CNN about a town in rural South Carolina where their water is red, like turn on the faucet and the water was coming out red. And this family that was saving jars over the years of all the creepy and gross stuff that was coming out of their faucet. And they, they're not getting any, you know, money or attention. They're, you know, they're just like a town of 700, but it's a poor town and they don't, they so don't. Why, why do you think this is happening? Why, why some they, people get attention? Did they find out why it was red though? So uh, they did have, they did have some help with research. Uh, researchers came in and tested it and, and determined that it's failing pipes. The pipes are essentially it's rust. Right. And ascend, and according to the EPA, that is not a contaminant, but I, you know, dare you to drink rust water. And I think if rust, rusty water was coming out of your faucet, you would make a pretty big stink about it too. And if it was happening in a, like a large or wealthy town, I think that, you know, those pipes would be fixed pretty quickly. So, um, what was happening in South Carolina in this town was that the, the city didn't, was tired of hearing the people complain about it, um, knowing they didn't have the money to fix the, the pipes. And so they started pouring this substance into the wells that they were not supposed to use that would basically take away the color. So they were getting rid of the color so that people wouldn't complain anymore. And then that substance, which you weren't supposed to put down people's drinking water wells was causing health problems. So why why is some places are getting attention, some places are not? Is it based on wealth, do you think? Like, this is crazy. You would think that we're not talking about the United States. You know, you'll think we're talking about third world country or something. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... <sighs> It's, you know, it's like that weird algorithm, what, what sticks, right? <laughs> with the new in, in, in wow. news. And I think a lot of it has to do with timing. Like the last couple of years, not a whole lot else was really talked about except one thing that mm -hmm. I'm reluctant to say. Um, but you know, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about either. I don't know. No, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Me neither. I'm not, am I talking about, am I talking about somebody? Um, you know, Newark, New Jersey got a lot of attention for um, really high lead levels uh, during that time, actually. They, they managed to break through and they are starting, I think, down the path of a better remedy. It was kind of iffy there for a while. Um, but, um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't have the answer to that. Like what makes it, you know, certainly there, certainly like in the, in the Chicago suburbs, for example, um, the, the wealthier neighborhoods when, you know, cause Chicago has a pretty big lead contamination problem and the wealthier neighborhoods have already fixed it. Right. And the poorer neighborhoods are stuck with it. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of a reality. And, you know, they get a lot of news attention, but they don't get the money to fix it. Yeah. So every time you, you make a, a film or, you know, a story or a movie or anything about, you know, a topic like this. Most people that, you know, a lot of people haven't heard about it ever, you know, it's not, you know, so uh, a lot of people's reaction will be like, you know, it's an episode of the X-Files. It's, it's not real. It's conspiracy theory. It's this, it's that, you know, so how do you deal with this? Like, even though you have interviewed a lot of regular people, but you still, you will have the, the people that say like, oh, this is just conspiracy theory. This is just story fiction like what what would you uh how would you like did you think of that when you were making the stories like i have to make it like very real so people can see it? like did that cross your mind when you do it and how would you respond if somebody said like oh this is just conspiracy yeah i mean i always want to tell character driven stories and not you know those are the stories that i connect with when i watch or read or consume media like i want to connect with people mm -hmm. so i always want to do the same thing in my storytelling but I'll be honest, like I'm not, I'm not out there trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to convince the inconvincible or unconvincible, whatever the word is. You know, I think that's a, a lesson we've all learned recently, right? <laughs> it's like sometimes you just gotta say, yeah. go live your life, you know. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, and not that, not that I don't aim to like to enlighten people. I do, but I think there's a, a group of people that doesn't want to be educated on certain things, and I'm not necessarily in the business of um debating them into silliness right like you know just if they don't believe it they think if they think my movie is a conspiracy with you know 70 year old women and and moms with you know kids who are disabled and you know veterans who would i trust me rather not be in this position yeah. uh, and people who have lost their kids like if they think all of them are actors and made up or whatever like yeah. okay good for you live your life you know um the department of defense has what's their response to all of this yeah i was gonna say if i was your pr i'll kidnap you for a few days and be like <laughs> oh the military did it and you get the best pr ever <laughs> that's so interesting PR <laughs> I think a lot maybe a lot cheaper than these social media gurus oh yeah um yeah their defense is you know their defense is that they um they believe that this firefighting foam is essential to their operations and that cleanup um needs to be consistent with the demand for industry to clean up. So essentially what they're, they're doing is deflecting. They're saying like, well, when the EPA says that everybody um, who's out there polluting has to pay to clean up their pollution, then we will get on board with paying to clean up ours. Uh, and that's kind of their... So, so usually when you have a problem like this, you could do one of three things, I think. One, you go to your senator, your representative, your congressman or woman, and uh, or your governor, you know, whoever. That's one route, you know, or media. That's the other route, or lawsuits. You know, you sue. You know, the, so have the people 
try to do any of the three things? Yeah, so I'll start with lawsuits. It's actually really hard to sue the government, uh -huh. um, but there have been a couple of attempts. Um, there's an attorney general out West that tried to sue calling this a, a government corruption case. Um, and then there's a, a suit in the burbs of Philly um, against the Navy. There's a naval base there that's caused a lot of contamination. And they're, you know, those are slogging through the system. Um, call your senator that route. You know, there's definitely some members of Congress that are really, really pushing for change. And actually in the last year have been somewhat successful yeah. in phasing out this firefighting fund. I, I, I meant call your senator before the election. What do you mean before the election? Oh, they're only going to listen before the election. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, there's some that have been fighting this battle um, for years on behalf of these veterans and civilians. Um, they like it's kind of very slow and incremental progress, but it's actually there's bipartisan support for paying attention to the PFAS problem. It's just that you know, I you know, what I've seen is that every time they get momentum behind the scenes, the DOD puts a lot of pressure on the EPA and the White House to say, don't do it. And it kind of just falls away. And um, you know, there, there is definitely some very vocal support in Congress for change, but it has not been successful. Are they saying don't do it because they don't want to spend the money or because they need the flame uh, retardant or whatever? I think it's probably a combination of both. You know, they haven't, they, they aren't like super, super vocal about exactly why they're so, they seemingly so opposed to this. I think that they do believe on some level that this is very important that they be able to quickly put out fires. So for example, the reason this was developed in the first place was an aircraft carrier fire um, that killed a lot of a lot of service members, um, you know, they couldn't put out the flames and a lot of people died. There was no place for them to go, right? And they're on an aircraft carrier. And this is, that was the birth of this AFFF foam. Um, but here's the thing, for the decades, from the decades that followed that, they would spray this stuff out on at bases every single day as practice, right? And, and by practice, it, it, it was, it was kind of, it was a little bit out of control, right? Like the, a lot of this stuff was going out into the environment. And throughout that whole time, they knew that it was toxic and they knew it was incredibly hard to get rid of. And I think a and, lot of- And who makes it? Who, ma who makes it? A, a couple of different um, companies make it now. Um, it started out um, the same companies that make Teflon, you know, but now actually they've stopped making this. And so there's a, there's like a variety of government contractors. So if, so is that part of the problem that they're doing it every day to use more supply to feed the government contractors more money? Yeah, they've really scaled back since, since there's been a lot of public pressure, they have scaled back somewhat on the training and they are. So Congress, when I said they, they made a little bit of progress, they successfully created a phase out plan that they have to phase this stuff out by, uh, I believe it's 2024. Um, and they have to come up with something else to use. So I think that's like back to the original question. Part of this is like, part of this is they do believe that it's a necessary necessary for operations. They got to figure out something else to use. But then, let's set that aside. Like, let's say that hurdle is jumped. Um, now you've got 
you've got bases, 700 of them almost across the country that have really high levels of this stuff in their groundwater. And who's going to pay to clean that up? And I think that that's where the numbers just get like a little bit scary for the DOD. They don't want to be held responsible and be forced to pay to clean all this up. Now, the other side of the argument is like, if you really look at it, um, you know, in comparison to the military's budget, which is effing huge, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like they could make this a priority. Especially um, being in the United priority. States, in here, not somewhere else, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so they, so are they trying to clean the mess that they have? Like, I understand if they keep using it because they're going to phase out and they, they believe that this is the only solution. But what about the damage that they already been done? Are they trying to clean it up or make Yeah, it so that's that's the big thing is the answer is no. No. Yeah, they're not. Mm-hmm. What 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 do they say about that? Well, Why? you know, money I think is a you know, is a the price tag, right? And then and, and well the price tag is the biggest one, right? You've got you've got estimates like one town in Satellite Beach where there's been um, and you know, quite a few people who have gotten gotten sick and died. Um, I think the estimates are somewhere around 26 million. And, you, you know, then you times that by 700. <laughs> and, and I think that's probably a generous, um, that's probably a generous estimate. Yeah. So, you know, it could potentially- but the military could still afford it. <laughs> I think, but, yeah, um, I think a lot of people, that's the stance that a lot of people take. The military can absolutely still afford it. But also, I guess that would, is that part of the problem that they'd be admitting culpability if they, if they aggressively cleaned up that all the people that died and suffered health issues could sue the uh, military since that's sort of an admission of guilt? I think that you're probably onto something there. I think that it could be, it could open a can of worms or, or they might see it as opening a can of worms. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are a lot of people who believe that their illnesses are linked to this contamination. A lot of a lot of veterans uh, and a lot of veteran families and a lot of service members who work near or on bases, sorry, civilians who work on and near bases. So it's a lot of people who are affected by this. So um, it, by comparison, like PFAS research on humans is not, we're not like great at studying it. So there's also a lot of people who like think they got sick from this, but maybe don't necessarily um, have that direct medical link because not a whole lot of not a whole lot of resources being put into studying it, um, which is like another kind of question we raise, like why not? You know, <laughs> why not? Why aren't we studying this? Yeah. Um, so yeah. you're saying there is no proof that they were sick because of the contamination? Yeah. One of the things that I learned in Flint is that even when it seems like to you and I, it's obvious, like you have this disease that's caused by X, you drink water that has X in it. Even with that kind of um, scenario that makes like common sense to you and I, in the scientific world, in the world of medicine, actually making that link is really, really hard. Because for example, a lot of things cause cancer a lot of stuff. And we don't know exactly what combination of what causes cancer and what person. And so saying that your exposure to, to 
substance A is the thing that caused your brain tumor versus something maybe that you were exposed to 10 years ago or while you're you were you know growing in your mother's womb um it's just really difficult from the for the medical world to make those links in flint there was there was a legionnaires outbreak during the lead crisis and people died and were buried before the the uh, legionnaire outbreak outbreak became public, and well, we know from law their law. families still can dig the thing. They can exhume people. Yeah, I've seen so, episodes like that. But in reality, yeah, those family members wanted like confirmation. If nothing else, they just wanted like closure that this is what happened. Yeah. And it was really hard for people, even people who recovered, because they didn't have samples of the legionnaires, that the strain of legionnaires that was in their lungs, they didn't have those samples to compare to the legionnaire strain that was found in the water system. So they had legionnaires during a time of a legionnaires outbreak and still didn't have that scientific proof mm. that it was caused by the water. I mean, it's really, it can be really challenging. And it was something that I didn't know before I started reporting on all of this. So when you, when you were doing, um, you know, when you were filming and interviewing people and all that, did you find any resistance from any, any size from the people or, or from, um, you know, from a representative of the Department of Defense or anything like that? Yeah, you know, what I found that was the, the hardest resistance is something I can actually be somewhat sympathetic to, which is people who um, see this as a problem but not as big of a problem as the stigma that comes to your town when you're labeled a contaminated town. Uh. Think about it this way. You've got five rental properties on a lake in upstate Michigan that everybody, you know, everyone from, from the rest of Michigan comes to every year and your properties are always rented and that's like your retirement income. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in and says, your lake is contaminated. People shouldn't swim in it. That foam out there is toxic. And then people stop coming to your lake and now you don't have an income. And they see that short term. And I, like I said, I'm sympathetic to this. They see that as worse than drinking contaminated water or than swimming in contaminated water because it has a very obvious and immediate impact on their lives. And I think there's something to that. You know, be, and, and the bad guy, like the bad guy in the story is not the people who don't believe in it or opposed to making a scene about it. The bad guy is the entity that polluted their town in the first place and won't yeah. clean it up because if there was, there was a cleanup effort, then they would still have their rental properties and people wouldn't be getting sick, yeah. right? But, but the people the, were like, not resisting, they were, they were willing to tell the story, no problem, right? A lot of people, a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people see it as a lesser of two evils to, to talk about it and, yeah. to, and see, to try. To I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything, but you may, maybe for next project, you should hire me as a director, but here's will be the scene. Okay. <laughs> okay. More, you know, here we go. You walk into the, <laughs> you walk into the house and old lady opened the door. And he's like, I want to talk about the contaminants. She's like, I don't know anything you're talking about. Can't talk about this. And she slams the door. And then her daughter pass you a number. Call me. I'll tell you the truth. 
about the government, meet me in the cafe next door, you know. But if they were just willing to talk about it, it's not it's not very um, ex filey, you know. Not dramatic enough for you. Okay, yeah. well then yes, the next time I will hire you as a consultant and we'll make it more dramatic. Yeah, I know nothing about this. What what about the military when you try to like, hey, let's talk about it? Were, were they welcoming or they were no, they don't want to talk about it. They send me a few emails, you know. I put them at the end of the film. Yeah. But they didn't they don't really talk, they don't really talk about this kind of stuff. They don't, you know, they're not like uh I, I didn't expect them to. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big bureaucracy, right? And it's like there's not like one particular bad guy in the military that's like sitting there going like, nope, let's keep spraying foam, you know, like it's it's years and years of um doing, you know, doing something that they see works, right? And and I think there's there's just like a lot of bureaucracy in government and yeah. a lot of bureaucracy at the Pentagon. And I think there's a reluctance to change and to admit this and and especially not knowing what admitting it means. Right? Yeah. Like why why don't they just use it? Instead of practicing with it seven days a week, why don't they just use it when they need it? Practice, you know, with something else. It's a great question. I think it's a regulation in the military. You have to practice certain thing a few times uh, a week. Yeah, but you don't have to use the actual substance. It's a great you know, question. Uh, I talked to is a it maybe just to buy more of it from the contractors. That's a great question. I talked to a firefighter who said, like, I wanted to stop using it. I want, I, you know, I did my research and I was like, let's use something else or use something else at least to practice and was told absolutely not. Like you're, you know, this is what uh. you will use. You know, for a long time, even the guys who were spraying it, because I interviewed a lot of military firefighters, they were told like, you know, it's just open water. It's harmless, it's just open water. Yeah. And so what they they believed that they was soap and water and they would kind of have fun with it sometimes you know like they would spray it on trucks and like <laughs> kids would come over and the kids would play in it and it was like it was fun it was it's huh. foam it's you know it's like fun to play in and no and they didn't know or so, they'd be a little careless about it you know and they'd like you know they'd walk through it and and you should see we show like what happens when um the alarm system in these military hangars is triggered and the foam fills up the hangar in seconds. Like it's super, it's a super quick and the guys would be stuck in there. They'd be like crawling their way out. You know, they didn't know. Yeah. So what would you hope come out from making this movie? Like what would be the best outcome uh, that could happen from, uh, from this movie? Yeah, I think as always, when I tell these stories, I want, you know, more awareness, people to understand um, or learn something they didn't know. And then obviously for the people in the film, the, the best thing that they could get is recognition that, you know, what they're going through is real. And, um, and they want to see, they want to see progress. They want to see cleanup. They don't want to see other people suffering. For the veterans, especially, I think one of the hardest things is that they can't get VA benefits for these. Um, they cannot? Well, they can, you know, they can go to a VA hospital for their illness, but they, it, it's not considered, um, uh, there's a name for it now, I can't remember it, but it's not considered something that happened to them during their time of service. Um, and so that is, that's a big issue for a lot of them. Wow. One guy who I interviewed, um, you know, his daughter died of brain cancer and he said, you know, he threw away all of his medals. He's, oh, I, saw, I saw that one, yeah. yeah. He's done with- That's on your website, yeah. He can't, yeah, he can't stomach the response. 
This is the guy who uh, he, he said he was in Iraq and he thought, you know, he was afraid his daughter was going to grow up without a father. And he ends up growing up, growing old without a daughter because of the people's. Yep. I mean, this is yeah. sad. It is sad. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. So so tell me about, you know, I'm always interested to know that the title, when you use the title, like, well, I'm sure you have few titles in mind and then you came up with this one. Yeah, well, I can't take credit for this one. I had bad titles in mind. I was like, I'm not. Right, tell oh. us, it's comedy. Tell us. I can't <laughs> actually can't even remember what they. I could probably dig it up in my files somewhere, but I can't. You have to tell me next time to come prepared with all my embarrassing notes. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what all the bad ones were, but I do remember we were really close to, like, having to make posters and stuff, and and I was freaking out like I hate all of our, I hate everything, I hate all of our potential titles and it was the executive producer Lenny Boren who's uh was actually my talent coach at CNN and has been a journalist for forever basically uh, a really successful one and he uh he just came up with it in like three and a half seconds he was like how about no defense and I was like duh you know like <laughs> that's that's it so and I think it has a couple of meanings right it's like the department of defense um but also like these people had no defense against yeah, yeah what was happening and yeah, there's like no, no defense for what they did. It's very, it's very smart uh, title, you know. All uh, credit for Lenny. Yeah, yeah. Good, good job uh, trusting him, you know. Because <laughs> if it came to me or Tony, you'll have a ridiculous title. <laughs> well, I'll keep that in mind when I. I would have called it "Singing in the Rain." I don't know. It just seems <laughs> like it would stick. Singing the foam. Uh, this is yeah. So uh, your your foam is is right now. Uh, I've seen it on YouTube, iTunes. Uh, is it an Amazon? It is not. Amazon's algorithm these days is crazy. Yeah. It is on this thing that I hadn't heard about until recently called Voodoo. Oh, yeah, Voodoo, no, it's yeah. Voodoo. Yeah. And Google Play for Android users uh, had to give them something because they're Android users. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like me. We should do, oh, really? Next, we should do a documentary about them. I think so. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, wait, do you like your Android? Like uh, I don't like iPhones because of the Chinese uh, uh, stuff in the, with the Muslims in the factories in, in China. So uh, With the Uyghurs? Yeah. yeah. Do you, feel, do you guys feel like horrible people making fun of me having Android and then I come <laughs> up with this answer? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> you should. You should. It's like, you know how like I turn a fun question and make it fun of people to like a really serious problem that you should feel bad that you supporting Apple. <laughs> now I do. I do feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely support the Uyghurs. Definitely would never buy a droid though. Like <laughs> yeah, that thing yeah. is, they, aren't they? They're like, how do we know they're not made by some oppressed population somewhere? I'm, well, sure, I'm sure they are. Yeah, I'm sure they are. They, we just don't know about it, you know? Yeah, and like Bill Gates turns out kind of a sketchy guy, huh? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, are you playing in uh, theater? But wasn't he always though? Wasn't he always a sketchy guy from the beginning? I mean, he's, I mean, pretty much stole the whole um, idea from Microsoft. He stole the whole interface and everything. Um, and um, you know, he's been uh, crushing uh, smaller competition for decades. So that's true. He, 
you know. But I mean, every every idea somebody steals it. It's not. It's always known, especially in technology, and you know that in show business. It's not about who come up with the it first. It's who actually does it. You know. So if you're not gonna do it and talk about it, you know, other people will. But um, well, important question, Sarah. Are you uh, are you gonna play in three in theaters in LA and New York? Yeah, I mean, I would love to. No, there's no. That wasn't a question. I'm, I'm, rec- I'm demanding. Oh, you're demanding it. I mean, I haven't even thought about theaters. Like the last whole year has just been like it felt like theaters were never going to open ever, ever, ever. Yeah. But you know, you know, you can you can be nominated for Oscar if you played it in LA and New York for three days. Oh well, I'll write that down. That is very good advice. Yeah. Well, don't forget don't to thank me when you win the Oscars. Like, well, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't in this podcast. <laughs> Talk to this guy with Android. And he told me, see, that information you can find it enjoyed. You can't find that. I, I, no, 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 no. I want you, if you win the Oscar, to send Hot 10 to accept it for you, like like that Native American girl did for Marlon Brando, and make a speech <laughs> about what the ch- why he won't use an iPhone. I like it. You can hijack my speech and talk about why we all should yeah. get our iPhone. No, but, but seriously, you should. I think it's a, it's a great move, and I think... Uh, if you get that buzz for Oscar nomination or, you know, or even better winning, you know, you will get a benefit or sharing the story for more viewers and stuff like that. So, so there is a non-selfish uh, uh, reason behind it as well. You know, that is a very good point. I would be, I would be really floored if we were ever considered Oscar worthy, yeah. but <laughs> I think we're just we're just trying to tell people a, a, a simple story about yeah, water. But I, that's a lot of things that people do, do documentary. They, they don't forget. All you have to do is like a little theater, three days in LA, three days in New York. You all are they not open in California? Uh, they are. They some, are. Some limited, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, drive-ins oh. have been open for a long time in California. Yeah, they have a lot of drive-ins. Yeah. We tried to do one of those actually in Michigan, and uh, and they, there was like one. There's like one drive-in left in Michigan. <laughs> one. <laughs> Maybe they'll make a comeback now. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I I think some of the regulation have changed, but yeah, yeah, that will be a good uh, a good promotion. So, uh, how many footage do you have? Like days and days of footage and hours, I'm sure, of interviews and stuff like that. This is like so. This is totally a producer question, and I'm. Uh, this is one of those ones that I would need to dig into my notes for. Yeah. We, I know we shot for we shot for two weeks, pretty much two weeks straight. Um, hours of footage, man. I don't know. But we I'm saying, like, is there a, well, the question will be: Is there a story or anything that you wanted to be in a movie that got cut? That yeah. Um, well, we, we had, yes, there is. And this is kind of cool because I ended up putting it on YouTube. Um, you know, we started this story at the lake in Michigan where I started the story where I was like, wow, I got to tell this story. Right. Um, and then, um, real, you know, realizing that there are 700 sites across the U S with this problem, there's a lot of people who we could interview, but I really wanted to focus on a few characters that you could really connect with and not tell like hundreds of people's stories. So what we did was, um, we collected up some of those stories and we made a YouTube series called PFAS diaries, the no defense PFAS diaries. And we're, we're 
slowly trickling those out on YouTube to let people know that this is not just a story in the couple of states that we visited. This is a story in everywhere. Um, it affects a lot of people, but we didn't want to like just cram them all into this film and kind of make it, you know, feel, um, you know, that it would end up what it would do is just like shorten everyone's story. And we didn't want to do that. Yeah, I saw it's it's also in uh, on one one of them on your website. Um, or, um, or no oh defense. yeah, I think there's a link to the YouTube channel on our website, which is no defense doc. Yeah, uh, no, I think there is a, for the YouTube one. There's a, there's one video as well. You know. Oh, okay, yeah. No, there's well, yeah, there should be a there there will be a bunch. We're doing a bunch of them um, over the next couple weeks. There you go. Oh, we're oh we're gonna fact check this. Cool. No, no, I saw it, so I just want to share it with people. No, I think it's on. You're right. It's on the home screen. It's like, um. Oh, it's on the press actually. Oh, it is. Yeah, I, I believe, or maybe I'm wrong. No, it's on. The I think home. it's at home, all the way at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. If you oh. click on that, then you could just go to our whole YouTube channel. There you go. Yeah, so that's one of them. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice website too. Thank you. I can't take credit for that, but <laughs> we think it looks good. So, uh, what's your next project? Great question. Um, I'm working on a podcast um, with my old newspaper, which is uh, a fun collaboration to go back to working with my old bosses um, and colleagues. It is about how in a post Me Too era, we don't talk enough about um, what happens to the victims after the bad guy goes to jail um, and how they have to you know, navigate the world and the intersection of trauma and addiction for a lot of victims. And so I'm working on a podcast about that. And then um, I'm in season two of my other podcast, which is about um, data gaps and government secrecy. We're working on why uh, certain information is so difficult to get from the criminal justice system. Season and was, one was, what was it? Education? Public education. Yeah, we talked about what that a little on What is season two going to be about? Season two is going to be, a, well, I'm actually at this weird, like, this is very behind the scenes, but at this weird crossroads right now where I'm like, should we we're having discussions about this should we like embark on these seasons that are very specific to topics or should we just say like like you guys do like this week there's you know infrastructure is in the news like let's do a why don't we know about infrastructure or should we like you know silo everything off into a season and i'm like super torn about it and can't make up my mind yeah. <laughs> so. well i would say if you need a third podcast that's all yeah, another one. <laughs> yeah, I think things like when Trump was uh, the president, there was news literally not only every day, but every part of the day. So can you even prepare for podcasts? Because you'll have a topic about something and then something else he would do or say, you know, good or bad. And then we have to talk about it. So we couldn't prepare. But with Biden, you know, his action is once every five months so you have time to do a whole season before before he says something else you know so is it that he doesn't do anything interesting or that we just don't care anymore i mean i, I think it's combination of both you know well he, governing is, is boring that's what you know, you know as it should be 
Yeah, as it should be. Yeah, when it's done right, it should be boring. I remember one time doing that. Do you guys remember when uh, Hawaii uh, almost fired its own um, uh, nuclear uh, missiles? Yes. Mistake. Mm -hmm. That was third on the news. Wow. Like, not even first. That was third. What were the other two? I don't remember, but I remember. Oh, the, see, and, I'm not the only one who doesn't have an answer to one of the questions. Oh, there you go. But but, but they're like, huh. Um, and on another news, we were all gonna die today, by the way. <laughs> was it wasn't it pointed at like it was like California or something, yeah. right? Yeah, it was a that was a that was a big deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So, um, yeah. You know, by the way, that was like the biggest to me, the biggest, um, the biggest like disappointment of the, the last four years was that not that you know crazy town in the white house necessarily but that it sucked all the oxygen out of the really important stories i mean that you know that's a crazy story but like there were really important stories happening across america that really affect americans everywhere from all kind kinds of walks of life and republicans and democrats right like these communities just didn't get any coverage of anything yeah because crazy town in the way it was it was a, a reality show for four years so it was, uh, you know well it's still crazy town i mean you know look, look what happened this week yeah they're not even gonna investigate what happened on january 6th i mean that's <laughs> I, can't, I can't even believe that you can, you can put the different you know president different government whatever it's gonna be the same outcome it's only gonna present the, the you know the director will be different you know one will be you know nothing nothing really has changed you know i mean except the uh the stress maybe but you know but general policies the big policies nothing really changed you know so far so but uh well you know you could really get a lot of uh, um movement going probably on people is if you could get QAnon to send out your documentary then you'd have um, I don't know if that's the kind of that's the kind of excitement I want. Yeah, Tony, have something. <laughs> Tony, can at least there, there be a fervor meeting after this? Doesn't Tony? Thanks look for like the advice, Tony. Thanks. <laughs> Does, doesn't Tony look like uh, you remember that documentary about this guy who built a tank and attacked his own town? I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't Tony look I, like? I love that. That guy's my hero. <laughs> isn't that insane? <laughs> Which town was this? Uh, I have to this up. Where was that? I don't know. Uh, the special was enough. I forgot the town. I, was it? Yeah, yeah, he got pissed off at the town because they made him sell his land and he built a tank and he like went around destroying the town. Wow. Um, I forget where it was, but uh, yeah, I did see that documentary on Netflix this past year. Um, oh, is this uh, Marvin? And they had film Marvin? of it. They couldn't stop him. What's that? Marvin Hemeyer. That sounds like the right guy. Yeah. But I don't look like him, right? Let me look. I'm gonna look a I'm gonna look it up really quick. Let's see. Do you look like him? This is a very this is a great way of ending the show. Does Tony look <laughs> like the guy that tried to destroy his own town? <laughs> I mean, if you said is Tony the type of guy, I'd have to, you know, concede well, that. Well you are the but type I don't think of I look guy. like him. We well, you know that, but oh yeah. man, I have to say this is a close call. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you. See? Damn the there both are definitely of you. Some similarities. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't talked to Tony for a long time. You'll be like, oh, definitely there is a similarity. Well, if you see a tank you, you, coming you, down your street, get 
get Danny and your daughter out of the house quickly. That's all I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> I would like to believe that since I've, I've, uh, I have, I would be spared, right? I would be spared from your wrath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you this: you, You've been a very successful journalist. Uh, you've done, you know, TV writing, documentary, podcast. Which is your favorite um, outlet for for the news? In, in, in ways of reaching the people and have the freedom to do whatever you want. You feel you can express yourself more. I know they're all different outlets, but which one would be, you know, your favorite to like, you know what, I, this is something I need to tell on, to, in a podcast or in, a, in an article or, you know, because now everybody, you know, um, does have something to say and they all have podcasts and stuff like that. But I still think it's a good way to... Uh, uh, to do that. So in your opinion, which one will be the best for jo- professional journalists? The podcast is this a trick question. What's that? Am I supposed to say podcasting because this is a podcast? No, 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 not at all. Actually the opposite. <laughs> I'm trying to, I don't know. to I do think less that, podcasts. To go back to your first question, so full circle, um, you know, I think it really depends on the story. Like sometimes stories don't work well for TV. Like they really don't work visually. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes people are just like not good at talking in front of a camera. They can't convey their message well. And so that's lost on people. We have all very short attention spans for consuming media because there's so much of it. Like, you know, you can't force a story upon someone the way that you used to um, be able to, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, you have to like, you have to figure out what's, what's the most compelling way of getting across to people. And um, yeah, I do tell students this a lot, like podcasting is great because there's a low barrier to entry. You can tell, you can create a podcast tomorrow with like 50 bucks. Yeah. I like to say 150 bucks because you need a good mic. But other than that, like, you know, you don't need that much money and you can tell a really important story and you don't need buy-in from a big media company. You don't need someone to like validate it in that way. If you know you have a good story, you can tell it in the podcast. Yeah. But also yeah. a lot of people won't be listening. Well, that's not always true. You know, I mean, yes, you're right. There's like a million of them in the iTunes store. I don't know about the, I don't know about Google play, but, um, but you can still reach people. And especially if you have a very targeted audience, like if you're in a specific community, you can do a lot of things to reach people in that community where that story will make a difference. But as, as you know, for, for regular people, you know, you know, you could do all of that and special podcasts may be the best one, but for you as a professional, like this is something that you studied, been doing for a long time in the career. Do you feel podcasts, like where would you rank podcasts in, in news generally nowadays? I mean, I am a huge consumer of podcasts and I'm always looking for new ones and good yeah. ones. Um, you know, the goal is always to get to a company that can promote it so that it gets to a lot of ears yeah um so if you can do that then i think podcasting is great yeah you know i think but i also think there's like nothing um wrong with being in that independent space and um you know and and do and like i said targeting your work not trying to reach every single American that like the New York Times reaches, that's unrealistic, but trying to reach people in the community that will be most impacted by your story, the community that needs to hear it, you know? And like those those tend to take off and and be a lot easier 
to go after. Like, you know, you should be going after your fellow comedians and that's what you do very successfully. Where is that? Whatever the customers are. Yeah. You see, like uh, one of my favorite podcasts back in the day, I mean, when, when it first thing was Serial. And I feel like maybe a lot of people will think, you know, Serial, uh, obviously, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, um, you know, it was it was something that could, uh, you know, that could be a documentary as well. But I felt it's better if it was um if it was like the way it was podcast you know like like there's a lot of elements that you have to imagine you know and stuff like that you know so that was brilliant to do it this way obviously you know it was good production too um you know so storytelling is 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 very is very different like you said like but your documentary like people need to see this you know to believe it uh, I think podcasting is so intimate. It's such an yeah. intimate experience. Yeah. Like the stories that you want to tell in a podcast, you want the you want the host. I think has to be really compelling as a character, and then also like the story has to have that that intimate connection because people are like listening to it inside their ears, like in literally in their body. I heard this story about cereal. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I've 100 verified this, but. I heard this and I think even if it's not true, it's a good little anecdote. I heard that that a university tried to do this thing called Serial by Serial when Serial was really popular where they hosted like an event where you could come and sit in a room and eat cereal like from the bowl with milk and listen to cereal. And they were playing the cereal episodes and people were eating cereal and it was a total flop. Like everybody hated it. Yeah. And what they realized was that people don't want to listen with other people to podcasts. Like it's a very personal experience. It's oh, that's very interesting. And they don't want to like, it was icky. It was like, why are you looking at me while I'm reacting to that? You know? So I think there's something to that. I think that there's really intimate and personal stories. That yeah. Gnome's other podcast is very intimate. It's so intimate that only two people listen to it. <laughs> and one of them's home, right? <laughs> so um tony darrow also goes as wacko and uh for our radio listeners this, but it just it's waco it's waco yeah but i call it i call you wacko oh okay because it makes you more crazy so uh this is for our radio just share a picture of young tony darrow uh look at this it's it's exactly you and this is your grand and it's something that you could do. <laughs> yes, I'm also capable of uh, starting a cult. It's, uh, yeah. it's true. Uh, absolutely. As soon as I get done with my tank, building my tank. <laughs> Please stay away from me. Thank you. <laughs> so so is that, uh, that was your first documentary? Yeah, that was my first one. How do you my like first, you know, my first independent one. I did like a couple of short ones with CNN. How do um, you like in doing it? It was really, it was hard. It was very challenging, especially when we made it in such a short amount of time. And I have to say, I've never been like great at the business side of things. And when you make an independent film then you have to think about that stuff, like, you know, bills and stuff that I never had to think about before. (laughs) You work at CNN, it's like, you want to use a picture? Great. We own it. You know, you want to use it? You want to use a piece of sound? Great. We own it. Now it's like, I own nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everything. So, um, 
you know, that was, that was the learning experience. And I definitely have a, I, I definitely will, my next one, I think will be more efficient. Well, historically women aren't good with money, but, uh, (laughs) 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 I'm not even going to respond to that. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it happens to be true in my family. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. Um, Yeah, but you know, um, also, yeah, I, I like the idea of the other podcast because nobody really know anything about what happened post crime, you know. So you're focusing on me too, obviously victims, you know. But nobody, uh, you know, I'd like to know what happened not only to the victims but to the person that went to jail as well, you know. Well, we know, right? Like the guy who goes to jail, the bad guy goes to jail, or sometimes it's just like the bad guy loses his job, right? And we in the media and the public tend to just be like, hooray, we did it. You know, like justice has been served. And uh, and this is actually the singular story of one person who, um, you know, definitely did not get the help that he needed after his abuse as a child and turned to self-medication and got addicted to heroin and ended up yeah, dying of a drug overdose. And and this is, it's really a story about the failures of the system. Like as a victim, we may, society have a lot of sympathy for this character, but once he becomes a drug addict, then like our sympathy levels drop. And then once he becomes a drug addict who's caught dealing, we don't care about him at all, right? We just say like, oh, you're a drug dealer. Um, But nobody ever like peels back the layers, like where this started like how this started um and so you know the his his, the quality of his health care related to the trauma was significantly um different than you and i would expect yeah and it's not just you know it's not just that one person It, it happens to a lot of people and it's also you know all the attention the media especially the big cases like you know after okay we got the bad guy he's in jail if he's convicted, obviously, and uh, and then all the fame that comes with it to the victim, and people just keep recognizing, not forgetting the story. Oh, you're that girl from this. You're that girl from that. You know, it's uh, it's not easy. You know, but um, no, it's and we we really don't we haven't paid very much attention to that at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a, a very sad story too, but I'm not going to share it now. Maybe next time about a victim uh, as well. But um, you know, I want to I want to end up uh, in a in a good note. So Tony, uh, any any upcoming projects or anything um, you want to share? Yeah, I'll be at the uh, Pussycat tonight, seven thirty spot, <laughs> well, and then on McDougal Street on Wednesday. <laughs> well, for people that don't know that we call the Pussycat, it's the comedy seller at the Villa because it's it's totally kind of different kind of show that he's talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I was like, like that's a segue. Yeah. <laughs> The comedy seller, the uh, black guy person. Yeah, so. Yes, Sorry. the comedy seller is open and starting uh, Monday, which this show will be aired on Tuesday, but uh, Monday I will be go back to full capacity. Um, yeah, yeah, awesome. I want to come. I'm fully vaxxed. I'm going to get should. candy. Let's do it, you know? You yeah. Should, you should get some drinks. And Sarah, you want to... Yeah, New York City is like... Um, do you live in New York City? Is that where yeah. you guys mm-hmm. live? Yep. I mean, because now New York City is like pretty much Mardi Gras every night. Like every bar, restaurant, club is pack people and you know so either these vaccines are truly effective or we're going to be india next month but uh everybody's out 
Yeah. Yeah. We we're down in the financial district. It's still kind of, I feel like it's still kind of quiet down there, but I have seen uptown like, or, you know, at least in more traditionally um, visited parts of the island right. that um, I'm talking about the nightlife. Actually, the nightlife is, yeah, it's crazy in New York city. You know, it's, it's just every place is busy. Yeah, like they haven't learned anything, you know. Uh, it's you know, like you need to ease to it, you know. Like I would, I thought that, you know, just being too close is just not gonna happen again soon, you know. But people don't care. I saw like seven people getting out of the Uber the other day. I was like, oh okay. You know what though, New Yorkers are good about it. I have to say, I'm in Florida right now, and I'm from Florida, and Florida is like they're not even wearing masks in in like the grocery store anymore. You know, like people are. Right. It's a, it's a it's lot. Like, I like a lot of chains like Starbucks and, and Trader Joe's and Target uh, announced that uh, vaccinated people don't need to wear masks and that they're using the honor system. It's like, have you met, have you met us? We're Americans. We don't have know. you met America? We, we have no honor, the honor system. We can't learn the metric system. We can't learn the, the honor system, please. Have you met us? It's, it's so, really? so anyway, back to the comedy cellar thing, though. You know, Danny and I, when we were dating early on, when we were dating, he used to take me there all the time. Well, he would take me to the Olive Tree yeah. because not because like he cared about the date, but because he wanted to see if any famous people were sitting in that booth in the corner waiting to go yeah. on. And I was like, this is that's this so is, funny. I still did married you, him. Did you, did, did you knew? I never knew anything because I don't know any famous people. I mean, I just, I don't know. It's like a block I have. I like, I don't recognize people. That, I was hosting a hot tub in Miami with Justin Bieber and I didn't know it <laughs> until like people around me started freaking out. But I just like, I don't know. There's something about the, I don't have like that facial recognition, the famous people thing, yeah, but my yeah. husband does. So yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's a good guy, but yeah. You and yet you wouldn't commit to the fact that it looked like the guy that built that tank. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at it. It was a comparison, a side by side. <laughs> Tim should put it up on the screen because I think it's really. It I is. Right? <laughs> it is. You look. You kind of do look like him. Yes, you're right. Damn, both of you. <laughs> uh, Sarah, do you want to show your information, or people can find yeah. you, follow you, or watch the movie? Yes, thank you. No defense. Uh, no defense. Doc. Dot com. Wait, do I know our Twitter? You know what? I'm at S Ganim at Twit on Twitter, but I don't tweet very much, so that's kind of boring. Sarah Ganim on Instagram. Uh, you know, Google No Defense documentary, it'll come up. And I, I will have the, I will also have the link to the documentary in the description of this uh, episode as well. Thank you. Uh, it's great to have you. You know, uh, it's great to see you. Let's hang at the cellar uh, soon or anywhere else. Uh, tell Danny and the little one we say hi. And uh, guys, great to see you. Thank you for being here. And uh, you can email too. us at live from America at comedycellar.com if you want to complain about Norm. Um, well, thank you so much and see you soon. Could you repeat?